Hey, so I'm so excited. I want to share with you about one of our new sponsors, Starglow Media. They have this amazing show for all of you with younger kids called Mysteries About True Histories. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers and on adventures through time packed with puzzles and hidden equations, histories, and laughs. You all know Alana, our co-founder at Sproutable. She listened to the show with her seven-year-old and loved it. They would pause the show and try to figure out the math problems together, loved learning about different cultures and the histories around the world. The series explores themes like the stories behind math, critical thinking, code breaking, pattern solving, and so much more. Math is geared Math is what they call it. Math is geared towards kids six and over, but can be enjoyed by the entire family. Episodes drop every Thursday, and they're about 15 minutes, perfect length for the car rides, mealtime, break time, bedtime. Each episode is stacked with so much laughter, and your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. So tune into Mysteries About True Histories math with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Hey, welcome to the Joyful Courage Podcast, a place for inspiration and transformation as we try and keep it together while parenting our tweens and teens. This is real work, people. And when we can focus on our own growth and nurturing the connection with our kids, we can move through the turbulence in a way that allows for relationships to remain intact. My name is Casey O'Rourke. I am your fearless host. I'm a positive discipline trainer, space holder, coach, and the adolescent lead at Sproutable. I am also the mama to a 20-year-old daughter and 17-year-old son walking right beside you on this path of raising our kids with positive discipline and conscious parenting. This show is meant to be a resource to you, and I work really hard to keep it real, transparent, and authentic so that you feel seen and supported. Today is an interview, and I have no doubt that what you hear will be useful to you. Please don't forget, sharing truly is caring. If you love today's show, please pass the link around, snap a screenshot, post it on your socials, or text it to your friends. Together, we can make an even bigger impact on families all around the globe. I'm so glad that you're here. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. My guest today is Dr. Tasha Brown. Dr. Brown is the director and founder of TMB Psychological Services. As a licensed clinical psychologist, Dr. Brown specializes in providing clinical care to children, adolescents, parents, and young adults. She provides a wide variety of evidence-based clinical services and is passionate about helping the individuals she works with function adequately at home, school, and in their communities. She provides a clinical care for individuals who have concerns related to behavioral challenges, inattention, hyperactivity, mood, anxiety, school-related concerns, trauma, and life transitions. I know, listeners, I know you're getting excited. She gets excited when her clients incorporate skills learned in treatment into their daily lives. Dr. Brown prides herself in being able to provide client-centered care with a strength-based approach. Additionally, she specializes in working with parents as they navigate the complexities of parenting. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to jump into this conversation. 
I know, me too. And I love that languaging, working with parents as they navigate the complexities of parenting. I mean, it's complex. (laughs) It's so complex. There's Mm -hmm. so many layers. I'm so excited to talk to you. Can you start with sharing what called you into working with youth? Why the kids? That's a good question. I always knew that I wanted to work with children. I just never knew the capacity. So I remember when I was a child, like when TLC had like a baby story, I would run home every day. I try to watch a baby story. Mm -hmm. And then at one point I wanted to be like a doctor that took care of like sick newborns. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to be a lawyer that like helped children. But when I was like in high school, I remember at my church, and I tell the story often, there was this family that came and it was like a mom, a daughter, and like a son. And the son had like some significant behavioral challenges. And I just remember everyone being like, whoa, like what's happening? And people like being like very like hot and bothered, like when Mm -hmm. things were happening and seeing like this family like struggling because of these behavioral difficulties. And I was like, oh, I want to work with kids like that. Mm -hmm. I didn't know like what that would look like, what that was called. And so eventually I figured it out. And then When I went to college, I majored in like child and family studies and psychology. And yeah, that's kind of where it was. There was just something about a child who was having significant behavioral problems. Like everyone has like a really averse reaction to that, especially in spaces and places where you wouldn't expect that behavior to be occurring. And Mm -hmm. the distress that I could see from this mom And from this sister, something about that was like, okay, this is an area where like help is needed. Mm -hmm. And I've come to always think that children who have such big, passionate outbursts and emotions, like if they're able to like channel that energy and think about ways to cope, like that can be bottled up in all these amazing ways. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's also been a driving factor in helping me like throughout my current, helping me think about like the population that I'm most interested in working with. So that's kind of an experience with a family in my community and just being like, whoa, like this is interesting. (laughs) Um, And then taking it. Yeah. A million years ago, I was a school teacher and I remember I had a student named Ryan and his Mm -hmm. mom came in the first day and was like, he has ADD Mm -hmm. or ADHD. I can't remember which she said, and she was like, we don't want to medicate him. We're doing Mm. some homeopathy. And I was a brand new teacher. I was maybe two or three years in and I adored this kid. Like there was Mm -hmm. so much to love about this kid, even as he drove me nuts. Mm -hmm. Right. And I remember saying, okay, you know what, Ryan, I'm going to put your desk in the back of the room and you can stand up. You can stand up all day long if you want, right? Mm -hmm. You can walk around the back of the room. I'm okay with that. Let's just see if this is going to help you kind of remain engaged. Yeah. And I remember all the teachers in the building, it was a very small building, so there weren't that many teachers, but all the adults were like, what are you doing? All the kids are going to get up. All Uh the kids are going to want to walk around. And guess what? Not one kid dead. Yeah. Everybody saw, this is something Ryan needed. Mm -hmm. This wasn't like a privilege. Yeah. You know, this wasn't rewarding him for anything. This was like recognizing, which it sounds like, you know, you see that like there's a wiring situation. Mm-hmm. And the more that we can understand the wiring and work with the wiring, yep. the more success these kids can have in a yeah. world that is not 
really designed for them. them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Those accommodations. I talk about those every single day and help parents like advocate for making sure that their child has the accommodations that they need at school, sports, yeah. actual yeah. activities. Do people ever push back with the, like, I hear the word accommodation and I appreciate what it means. Mm -hmm. Do you ever find adults who see accommodating as enabling? You know, that is so interesting. I, yes, I do get some pushback and it really just depends on the setting. Mm -hmm. And I think people's exposure just to this idea of accommodating. When I always introduce the idea of like your child needs accommodations at school or at home or wherever you take them throughout the week, I always introduce it first with like, why does your child need these accommodations? Mm -hmm. If your child has ADHD and they're having difficulties with sitting still, if they are really tuned into everything that's happening in the classroom and they can't really focus. If it takes a couple of times to cue them in so they're staying focused in the classroom, that has nothing to do with their cognitive abilities. That has nothing to do with their ability to be successful and think about things and thrive in their lives. Right. It just means that the adults who are caring for them in these moments need to recognize these differences or the way that they're set up and create an environment that they're going to thrive. Yeah. If you continue to have your child be placed in a classroom setting where no one knows what's going on and they don't pay attention to the needs and you don't get this, your child is not living up to their full capacity. And so I always like to start there because yeah, some parents and even some schools that I've worked with, mostly like private schools, there's some pushback around mm -hmm. the world is not accommodating. I don't want to set my child up for a space where no one's going to be accommodating for them. They need to like learn how to exist in the world. Mm -hmm. And the reality is our world is shifting more to a world where this idea of accommodations is becoming more acceptable. You can go to your job yeah. now and ask for accommodations. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that you're getting special privileges. It doesn't mean that things are going to be easier for you. There's this misconception that accommodations makes things easier or accommodations lets kids get away with things. Mm -hmm. In the reality, it just helps a child to function at their optimal capacity, which is yeah. what we want. And so I always like to start there and then like really talk about like what accommodation looks like. There could be two kids in the classroom with ADHD or disruptive behavior or a child who is on the spectrum. And each one of them has different accommodations because right. there's something different that's needed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I'm thinking about, you know, the people that I work with are parents of teenagers. And I don't know if it's the size of our kids when they're mm -hmm. teens, like we look at them and we see the young adults that they're coming towards, but I definitely notice the tension of parents with kids who have ADHD that I work with really in that like, okay, yeah, and, right? And, yeah, yeah, you know, how do I tease apart? It's like, yeah, I get it, right? I get that they have ADHD, mm -hmm. but, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I really appreciate your distinction of really accommodations, meaning here's how you set up an environment where this kid can thrive. Yes. And yes. even in the job place, like to be able to learn to advocate for yourself enough to say, hey, listen, boss man, boss mm -hmm. woman, I want to do my job to the best of my ability. And here's what my brain needs. 
And children and teenagers just don't learn how to do that. Yeah. They're most successful when they see their parents and caregivers do that for them. The modeling. I had a client this week and his mom was telling me how he like went to school and like told all his teachers, like, I have ADHD. This is what I need. And I was like, good for him. Yes. He knows how to do that because he has heard his mom and he has seen his mom do that for him. And so one of the things that I think is frustrating for parents is when their child is not living up to or doing the best that they know they can in a system or in an area and having a hard time like advocating for themselves. And then on the flip side, like parents, like also not wanting to advocate for their child to get these accommodations. And so you can't expect for your teenager to walk into certain situations and be as successful as you know they can be if they don't have the skill of advocating for themselves. Mm-hmm. And they're not going to gain that skill unless you explicitly like teach them those things. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a character defect. Yeah. It's a lack of learning. Right. Yeah. 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 You don't know what to have. Like, accommodations, especially at school, is a whole nother language, number one. Mm-hmm. It comes with so many things that you're just not going to know unless you've yeah. researched it, unless someone's introduced it to you. Yeah. And so I think sometimes we do our kids and our adolescents a disservice when we don't advocate for them and teach them how to advocate for themselves for the accommodations that they need. Yeah. And I just want to celebrate all the parents out Mm -hmm. there that do the research and figure it out. I mean, it's a part-time job. I just had to make a couple of doctor's appointments this week. And I'm like, there is no time for me to make that Mm five-minute phone call. I can't even imagine needing to research and understand. And so I just want to say, well done, everybody. And self-compassion, do the best you can with the tools you have. I really Mm -hmm. love that focus on being the model and teaching our kids to advocate for themselves. I was just on a call with a mom. Well, I've had a couple calls today where there's some school avoidance. Mm -hmm. And when we drilled in, it was, well, they don't like their teacher or they don't like some particular class. And it's like, yeah, we got to go under the surface, under the hood and figure out Mm -hmm. what is getting in the way here. And that's the conversation to have versus just, no, you got to go to school. You got to go to class. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Anyway, I feel like that's related somehow. Um, (laughs) A lot of the parents that I work with and hear from in my community, they have kids that really struggle with big emotions. And this is what I wanted to talk to you about. Mm -hmm. Distress tolerance is low and reactivity, sometimes physical reactivity is really high. Yeah. And you work with kids with, I think there's a ODD, right? Oppositional Mm -hmm. defiant disorder. Mm -hmm. And not everybody who's got these big emotions has ODD. No, not at all. Will you talk a little bit about that spectrum though? Yeah. So when we think about children in general, we know that developmentally, children are going to have difficulties listening and following directions. And uh, developmentally, we can expect that no child is going to listen to everything that you say. Once in a while, a child's going to say no, they're going to push back. Yeah. And sometimes that's healthy. We want children to be able to like play around with that, especially in the context of like safe, nurturing relationships with their caregivers and their parents Mm -hmm. and trusted adults. But there are some children who we see that defiant behavior and that push back around like following rules. We see that 
being a little bit more difficult for them to the point where it is causing significant impairment in their everyday functioning, meaning that Mm -hmm. they are having such a hard time listening and following directions and pushing back all the time that their parents are getting calls home from school every single day. Or Mm -hmm. that you can't really get through the morning routine because you're spending 45 minutes trying to get the child to brush your teeth or to find their stuff because it's always this pushback. Mm -hmm. And so when we think about this spectrum of defiant and oppositional behavior, I like to think about it from typical child development to the end of the spectrum where children are having so much difficulty that it is getting in the way of everyday functioning. They're not getting good grades. They're getting expelled from school. Mm -hmm. You are having to pick up every five seconds. You're always enrolling them in after-school programs. And before you know it, you're getting a lot of calls. And that's the other end of the spectrum. And when we think about a diagnosis of oppositional defiant disorder, we're really talking about children, adolescents who are on that end of the spectrum. And when it comes to big emotions, we know that all kids experience really, really big emotions. Mm -hmm. And I like to think about that on the spectrum as well. Children are going to have big emotions where they're trying on and trying to figure out, okay, like if I'm angry, what does that look like? How does that feel like? What should I do if I'm excited? What should I do? What does that feel like when children and adolescents are having these really, really big emotions and they really can't manage that emotional distress Mm -hmm. and it leads to them having disruptive behaviors like hitting and kicking, Mm -hmm. withdrawing from others or lashing out, cursing like that is like really poor distress tolerance and also really at handling those really big emotions. You know, I was recently talking with someone about like, we all have a saturation point, Mm -hmm. right? And how to, with our teenagers, how to gauge, you know, Mm -hmm. because sometimes we take it too far. We give that extra little bit. And then we know after the fact, like, oof, they were saturated. I could have walked away five minutes earlier and it would have, you know, whatever we were talking about might've landed. Or maybe I lost my shit. You know, Mm -hmm. I was saturated and it Mm -hmm. finally tipped me over the edge. So what is it, you know, is it a wiring thing? Is it a temperament thing? What is it that some kids just, it's all of it. It's all of it. I love that question because parents ask me this all the time. Like, what is happening here while my child is having such big emotions? Yeah. And it could be so many different things. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Thank God, spring into summer is my favorite time of year. After turning 50 last September, I've been really working on my physical health and well being and can honestly say that I am feeling better in my body than I have felt in a very long time. Yes, credit goes to movement and working out, but even more credit goes to how I'm feeding my body. That's why I love Factor. I fuel up with Factor's no prep, no mess meals, 35 different meal choices, and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. I always have a new flavor to explore. It's amazing. You can crush your wellness goals this May, keep time in the kitchen to a minimum, and enjoy effortless support for the lifestyle you want to be living with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust from Factor. Head over to factormeals.com slash joyful50 and use the code joyful50 to get 50% off your first box 
plus 20% off your next month. That's code joyful50 at factormeals.com slash joyful50. Again, that's 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Yes, yes, yes. Join me. Join me in the health revolution and feel really good this summer. This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. So as the weather warms up, we're outside gardening or doing yard work. There are so many opportunities for skin issues, right? And for me, it's always a mystery to know what's going to irritate my skin, but I'm definitely out there itching and scratching. But the good news is active skin repair always seems to save the day. Active skin repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, and other types of skin damage. It's also safe and non-toxic, making it suitable for use on all skin types, all parts of the body, and even on rosacea, eczema, and acne-prone skin. Here's what I want you to do. Visit activeskinrepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and get 20% off your order when you use code JOYFUL. Again, that's www.activeskinrepair.com. Find out more about the product and get 20% off your order when you use the code JOYFUL. One, it could be just a cycle that your child mm-hmm. has learned from like how the people around them respond when they have big emotions, okay. especially when we think about younger children. So mm-hmm. I always like to use this example of whining because I think everyone can relate to like whining yeah. happening at some point. If a child is whining and their parent or caregiver whenever they whine, is like, what's wrong? Are you okay? Like, what do you need? Mm -hmm. The child over time is going to learn what I need to do when I get attention is whine. And Mm -hmm. the more I whine, the bigger I whine, the faster I whine, that's going to get me different types of attention. Mm -hmm. And before you know it, in lots of cycles, that whine turns into this really big, intense emotion, maybe of crying, maybe a tantrum, it escalates. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what carries that on is this pattern of interaction with adults. Yeah. So that could be one reason. Another reason could be exposure to a trauma or a big Mm -hmm. change in routine or a change in caregivers, something earlier on that just disrupts a child's sense of stability and safety or Mm -hmm. threatens that. That can lead a child to start to exhibit some really big, intense emotions. It could be that some children are just born wired that way. When we talk Mm -hmm. about children who have attentional concerns, when we talk about children who are oppositional, when we talk about some children who are on the autism spectrum, the wiring, the way they're born, they are just more likely to experience like these really big emotions, Mm -hmm. anxiety. Mm -hmm. A lot of times when children are anxious and they don't have the words and they never get the language to describe, I'm feeling anxious because I have to go to like a new school today or I have a test today in history and I don't know how I'm going to do on that test. That anxiety can become a very, very big emotion. Yeah, that was my daughter's entire freshman year. Yeah, yeah. It's like one big emotion and it's because of anxiety. (laughs) Yeah. And so there's so many reasons. And 
going back to something you said earlier, like digging deeper, like mm-hmm. what is going on? If a parent comes to me and starts to describe these really big emotions, I always want to know, tell me everything. Tell me about school. What's been mm-hmm. happening? What happens mm-hmm. before? What happens after the big mm-hmm. emotion? What's happened during these big emotions? Because in order to treat the big emotion, we need to know and understand like what is the function? We know that what's happening in the brain is like your amygdala is like... Yeah. But we want to know why that's occurring. Yeah. If it's happening because like this is just how this child was born and this is how they're wired and this is part of their clinical presentation, then we need to think, okay, what therapeutic resources do we need? What medication management needs to come into play, if any? If this is anxiety, what kind of coping strategies do we need to give your child? If this is one of those patterns of behavior, all right, can we sit down and talk about different things that you can do as a parent or caregiver when your child starts to exhibit these really big emotions? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I'm thinking about what you said, you know, the broad stroke, because it seems like, I mean, we all can agree, I think that there's an intense mental health crisis happening with Mm -hmm. our adolescents. And you mentioned trauma. Uh global pandemic. The world is trauma. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, The world is fucking trauma. (laughs) Mm -hmm. School shootings, mass shootings, Mm -hmm. you know, racial injustice. Yeah. You know, everything that's happening right now in the Middle East, it's just like a barrage of trauma. And I think parents don't give the little screens enough credit, or maybe they do, Mm -hmm. but it's like our kids might not be at the scene of the crime, but they are seeing it in real time and it is coming at them over and over and over again. And that's trauma. Yes. Right? And so that's the world that we live in, right? Mm -hmm. And all of this is real. And there's the information, there's the misinformation, and then there's like the rate of receiving the information. There's just no peace for our kids. Or for us, yeah, we're all traumatized. Yep. So I really want to talk about one, how do we create safety in our relationship, right? Mm -hmm. Because I think that's one thing. Mm -hmm. And the teen wiring, like part of adolescent brain development is these big emotional, they're feeling things big. Yeah. And if they're already kind of temperamentally or wired to feel things big, then it's just more of that. And, you know, I encourage parents to get under the surface, which requires conversation. And if the relationship doesn't feel safe, safe meaning emotionally safe, right? Like, I know I screwed up and now you want to have a conversation with me about it. I don't want to feel worse than I already feel. And if I know Mm -hmm. that going in, I'm going to avoid that conversation, Yeah, right? And so how do you work with parents who have kids, adolescents that are, you know, on the trajectory of learning distress tolerance, but aren't there mm-hmm. yet because mm-hmm. it takes time. Yes. How do you support parents in their being with the process of yeah. learning that their adolescents are going through? Yeah. Yeah. Number one, I always emphasize patience yeah. and empathy. It's hard to be a teenager and experience yeah. like everything on a hundred. Yeah. And uh, it's hard to live in a world where you're experiencing all of these things and then everyone has like a front seat to it because 
you can't really turn things off when you leave school. Like it's just, you're constantly being bombarded. I think parents like sit with that Mm -hmm. and like empathize with just like how hard that is for a lot of teenagers. And then being patient and remembering that it's a process. It's a learning process. It's a learning process and it's a learning process that you, the parent or caregiver, has a lot of input in and your response to how your child is learning plays a big role in the end result. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. if you are not able to provide the safety for your child to be able to do that and you're rising and having these big emotions with them, Mm -hmm. the end result is going to be a child who just continues to rise and an adult who just continues to rise and doesn't know how to regulate because the space wasn't there. One thing that I encourage, like just on a practical level, is sometimes I really tell parents to start to like name and validate their child's feelings like Mm -hmm. in the moment. Oh, I can tell Mm -hmm. you're really frustrated that we have to leave the house today and you really wanted to stay here and play your video games. Mm-hmm. I can tell that you're really upset that your friend can't come over tonight. Mm-hmm. I can tell you're so excited about this field trip. Mm-hmm. Really labeling your child's emotions and validating them. You understand. I can see why. That must be really tough. That must be really exciting. That is so powerful for adolescents and for young children and has the ability to stop some really big emotions from occurring. Sometimes a lot of teenagers will say, my parents just don't understand. My parents just don't understand. Mm -hmm. Simply by labeling and validating your child's emotional response to something is enough to show that even if you don't fully understand, like you care to start to understand. Yeah. So that's one thing that I always encourage parents to do like as a way to create safety and then also modeling in those moments, especially for children who have like big emotions and teenagers who have big emotions all the time. One thing that I tell parents is, especially if the big emotion leads to like back and forth and shouting is that Your child is showing you in many ways that they're going to continue to rise with you. Very often adolescents, like when they're ready to go, like they're ready to go. They're not going to be like, you know what? They're committed. They're so committed. (laughs) They're not saying, you know what? Let me just chill out and go to my room and calm down and then come back to this conversation. They're ready. Yeah. And so I always tell parents that you are going to have to be the one to regulate and model regulation. Mm -hmm. Be the adult. Be the adult. Because what is happening is... When you're emotionally dysregulated, you're yelling, you're screaming, your body language is doing all these things. Your child is feeding off of you and it's revving them up even more in ways that both of you probably don't even realize at the time. So if you need to take a deep breath, if you need to walk away, if you need to start to implement some things in your home where you say, I can tell that you're really angry about this right now. How about Mm -hmm. we talk about this again in 20 minutes? Or how about we have this conversation in the morning? Start to model Mm -hmm. for your child how to approach conversations from a space where they're not dysregulated, but you have to model that for them. Yeah. Well, and I think I'm thinking about some teens that I know, some families that Mm -hmm. I work with, and I'm thinking about that naming emotions as we see it and how I can hear... you probably mm-hmm. have this experience when you talk to me, like you can hear your client's voice mm-hmm. yabbing. 
right? Like, yeah, but my kid gets pissed when I start noticing how they're feeling. Mm -hmm. And I think there's something in this conversation too, where as a parent, you get to be you, like you get to be authentic. Mm -hmm. And you're right. If you're coming in like, ooh, I know the trick to get my kid to calm down. It's not something that's Mm -hmm. useful. But if you're going in thinking, how can I attune with them? How can I help them feel seen and heard in this moment? Mm -hmm. Right? I think like the energy sometimes that we bring can also be so useful. I just wanted to say that explicitly because I see you listeners. Mm -hmm. I know you're out there Mm -hmm. and I know you're ready. Mm -hmm to go do this. And then it's like, ah, it didn't work. And one of the things, Dr. Brown, that I like to play with language wise is how about instead of looking for what works, we try to be helpful. Yes, Like it's really about being helpful. And if we're tuned, if we're really tuned in and we show up in our authenticity, like it makes sense that you're pissed that you have to get off your game right now. It makes sense. Mm -hmm. And I'm sorry. Yeah. Right. And we got to go. Yeah. What's going to be helpful? Yep. What's going to help you move from this? Right. And remembering like all of that is effective when it's done from a place of like relationship. So yes. like a reciprocal type of relationship, especially with teenagers. There are times oh, when parents yeah. come in and they're like telling me all these things. And I'm like, well, let's step back. Like, what's the relationship here like? hmm. Mm-hmm. And I always use the example of like a boss, like parents, I think, can like really relate to that. If you have a boss and your boss is like always yelling at you or always like making demands, never acknowledging the things that you do well, never giving you space to share your thoughts and feelings, never compromising with you. And then your boss like comes to you one day and like makes this and says like, the company is in dire need. I really need you to like put in all this extra work. You're going to be like, no, I'm not doing that because like, who, no. like why are you coming yeah. to me? But if you yeah. feel like this is a relationship where you're respected, your thoughts and feelings are heard, then you are more likely to work with this person. You're more likely to mm-hmm. do the things that are going to help both of you coexist in a space that you have to be in. It's the same thing with a relationship mm-hmm. with a teenager. Helping your child to feel safe helping your child to emotionally regulate, helping your child learn distress tolerance skills all needs to happen with the basis of a strong foundational relationship. Most families that I work with, when they come in and the question or the concern is behavioral concerns, distress tolerance, we always start our work with relationship building. Mm -hmm. All right, I want you to go Mm -hmm. spend time with your child every day, five minutes for younger kids, special time. You're playing with your child. In a couple of weeks, then we can talk about discipline because doing all of that on top of like a rocky relationship is just going to set everyone up for failure. It's pointless. Yeah, and frustration. Same thing with your team. Yeah, We're going to spend some time talking about how we can build up this relationship because if you go in there trying to help them regulate, trying to lay on the all these rules mm-hmm. and it's a rocky relationship. It's not going to feel good for you. It's not going to feel authentic yeah. and it's not going to be successful. Yeah. I did a program this summer called Invitation to Change mm-hmm. and it was about working with loved ones who have substance misuse mm-hmm. going on. And it was so funny. Like I do these programs and I read books and stuff and I'm like, okay, Maybe this is where I'm going to find the magic formula Mm -hmm. that I don't know yet. Mm -hmm. And then I can really help my clients. And it all comes back to relationship, belonging, Mm -hmm. doing your own personal work. And I'm like, okay, okay, I'm good. This is where I'm going. 
One of the post-it notes that I have now on the wall that I appreciated from that program, it says, change happens by addition, not subtraction. And you talking about relationship and me talking about relationship, because my listeners are cracking up right now, like, (laughs) oh, look, Casey found somebody else who's speaking her language. Like that's, you know, like I told you when we got on, I just got off a call with a gal who's got a senior who's just kind of in the spiral of Mm self-destruction-ish, right? She's at the beginning, the top of the spiral. And I was like, listen, you need to go. And when she says, will you pick me up some Starbucks? And you say, hell no. Why would I do that for you? Try this. Mm -hmm. Actually, I'm going to come pick you up Mm -hmm. and we'll go together, right? And you don't talk about school refusal and you don't talk about the partying she did this Mm -hmm. weekend. You nurture relationship because in the process of nurturing relationship, you're growing influence and you're creating a little space in their head Mm -hmm. for you, Mm -hmm. right? To consider, not to listen perfectly verbatim, but we want a seat at the table. Mm -hmm. And you're creating the opportunity for potentially maybe the conversation to come up naturally and authentically. There are some times when parents will come to the office and I'll have like sessions with them in their teens. And then I'm like, okay, this conversation is like over. Like, do not have this conversation again. Like, do not talk walk about out the this door when in you the walk hallway. out the door. It's done so they can drive home and listen to the same thing on the radio or engage in something else, especially for children who are emotionally dysregulated and having a hard time with distress tolerance. And it's something Mm -hmm. that's like chronic on that other end of the spectrum that we talked about. Mm -hmm. It's easy for 24-7 for parents and everyone else to just be bombarding them with, why don't you do this? And that's exhausting and not helpful. Not helpful. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where-are-my-keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a, we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. And I think it sends a message too, when we can't let it go, It sends this message that this is all I see. Mm -hmm. This is the only part of you that I see. And I try to remind that the parents that I work with, like there's so much more that exists about your child beyond this one particular thing. And for some of the kids, right? For some of the teens and the the parents that I work with, some of their teens, dysregulation comes so quick, Mm -hmm. right? And what are some effective ways would you say in your experience with these kids that are 
maybe not the extreme end, Mm -hmm. but they tend to be on that side, Mm -hmm. right? What are some effective ways of opening conversation with them? Not in the moment, everyone. Yes, please, not in the moment. Not and in I the like moment. Neutral time. <laughs> yeah, not in the a moment. neutral time. People don't need to be like buoyant <laughs> and super joyful, but neutral. Yes. yes, I like that. So that they can start to connect the dots around their experience and move them into some willingness to practice mm-hmm. something different. Yes. I think that's a really, really important question. And I love, before I answer that, I love what you just said about there's so many other things about your child. And we want your child to recognize those things about themselves. And if their caregiver yeah. and parent can't even do that, it's going to be so much harder for your child to mm. do that from themselves. And we know that these children who have difficulties, like their self-esteem starts yes. to plummet. And <gasps> okay, I, I'm thinking of particular <laughs> mm-hmm. listeners. I know that you're listening, clients of mine that I know are listening. Mm-hmm. If you're thinking, oh my God, she's talking about me, we are. <laughs> so listen. <laughs> yes, yeah, self-esteem just starts to plummet. And so you yeah. want to be able to recognize other things about your child so that yeah. they can recognize those things as well. Yeah, which requires us to calm down. It requires parents to calm yes. down. Chill out. Right, you need to calm <laughs> mm-hmm. down. Because sometimes I've had, Parents where it's like, honestly, like I can't see anything else right now. Mm -hmm. Like the tunnel vision is so hard or so hardcore. So it is, it's like, find your center, feel your feet, do whatever it takes for you to slow it down and expand the lens that you're seeing your kiddo through. Yeah, Because that kid that was, you know, however they were at age 10 or five or two, like, I mean, my my youngest is getting ready Mm -hmm. to move out. So we're kind of nostalgic. Mm -hmm. And um, then I remind my husband, like, three was not that easy. I know he was cute, but let's keep it real. But whatever it takes, watch them sleeping, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it takes to remember that there's this, yeah, this, this whole other part yeah. of them. Yeah. 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 So going back to your question in terms of, it was just about like how to help children, like in those moments of distress yeah. tolerance and um, giving those the coping strategies, like how to talk yeah, to them about yeah. that. Number one, yeah. we had this conversation at a neutral time. And yes. I always have conversations with my child about this. And I'm like, well, when are you having the conversation? Like right after it happened or no, you need to, sometimes I say like, if even if it hasn't occurred in, like say it's something that happens every single night, you want to have that conversation in the morning. Mm-hmm. or over the weekend or at a time that everyone is like feeling pretty okay. And you want to mm-hmm. start the conversation out with like positives. So, mm-hmm. hey, Freddie, I noticed that you've been doing a really great job this morning, like getting through your morning routine. I love how like cherry you are in the morning. You want to mm-hmm. point out like the neutral positives that are happening in that moment. Yeah. I noticed that there's sometimes in the last couple of weeks that you've been having a hard time. And uh, I just want to talk about some ways that maybe I can be helpful for you in those moments or something that. that you think that I need to be doing in those moments to help you. And then oh, here are some, some suggestions that I have for you. Mm-hmm. And very often I'll tell parents, like, go ahead and let your child like choose the like have the first say in that conversation. It shouldn't be, Bobby, you need to do this, 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 this. Susie, you should be like this, 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 this. You really want your child to 
answer questions like, what do you think would be helpful in those moments? Mm -hmm. Sometimes Mm -hmm. adolescents will say things like, you know, it would be really helpful if you just leave me alone for five minutes. And like, that's the key. Or Or forever. (laughs) (laughs) And that's how you get to respond Mm -hmm. when they say that. You get to laugh and say, yeah, I bet that would be helpful. And what are some other things we got to figure this out in this moment? Yeah. Approaching it from that way and making it collaborative. Remember, it's relationship. Yeah. These are moments to build a relationship. You get to learn about your child. I love when patients, like teenagers, will be like, I'm always like, okay, can you take some deep breaths? Like, deep breathing doesn't work. And so it's what are some coping strategies and helping your child think about coping strategies that work for them? So mm-hmm. you may go into the conversation with a list of things that you already have noticed that are helpful for your child. So Hey, Susie, I noticed that you really are calm when you are listening to your music. Or mm-hmm. I noticed that you've been really enjoying this podcast. Or maybe are those things that you can do in those moments? If not, mm-hmm. like, what do you think would be helpful? And coming yeah. at it from that approach at a neutral time and not yes, in yes. a disciplinary action, not like, well, we need to solve this because if we don't solve right. this, we can't go here. Or we won't be able to do this or you're not going to. That just automatically Mm -hmm. puts your child on defense. You want to have a conversation where they are willing to be open and receptive to hearing what you have to actually say. Yeah, I love that. And I really appreciate, I just, I love when I find people. (laughs) It's so validating to me. Like, okay, I'm doing a good job (laughs) with my clients. But I think it is one of the things too that I have employed in my own parenting Mm -hmm. is when I have noticed that my kid has moved through something and managed, Mm -hmm. right? And that's, I think, important to remember, listeners, is you are paying attention to those times where they lose it, Mm -hmm. right? That's what's hard. But throughout the day, there are things that they're navigating. Yep. And not losing Mm -hmm. it. And so another thought too is when you pay attention for that and then get excited and say, hey, Mm -hmm. Bobby, hey, Susie, Yep, that thing happened. You wanted it to go another way, but you really managed to stay calm and flexible. What helped? Yep. What did you notice was helpful? I always tell parents like pay attention to those positive opposites. Like you have this list of behaviors that you are concerned about. Sometimes I even have parents like write it out. Like what is the positive mm-hmm. opposite of that? So if yelling is the concern, mm-hmm. the opposite of that is talking nicely or using an inside voice mm-hmm. or whatever it is. Whenever you hear your child do that, acknowledge that, praise that. Yeah. Because like from a psychological behavioral perspective, and I like to like push this in, we know that the more attention that you give to behaviors, the more those behaviors increase. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so if you are able to give positive attention to behaviors and desired behaviors that you want to see or behaviors that you know are going to be helpful and useful to your child as they grow into contributing humans in society, the more you give attention to those things, the more that your child is going to exhibit some of those things. And that's the power of your attention to those things throughout the day. Well, in connecting with what we've already said, that coupled with a really connected, mm-hmm. authentic, attuned relationship, yep. you're golden. Golden. Right? You're golden. Mm-hmm. So, and sometimes with some of our kids, we have to slice things 
thinner, Mm -hmm. right? I'm thinking about those kids on the extreme end of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. Mostly I have families with ADHD is what comes up the most with the families that I work with. What are some important things for parents to understand? And maybe we'll just talk about ADHD. If you could drop like three biggies, like I'm sure there's more, Mm -hmm. but important things to understand about that And even as I'm saying that, I know that all kids are unique and different. So maybe broad strokes, but about their neurodiversity Mm -hmm. so that when they're in the heat of it and it's like, wait, is your room Mm -hmm. such a drama? Like, why is there so much drama around this all the time? Or why can't you get started on your thing? Like, what are some little mantras to remember about their kids' neurodiversity? Mm -hmm. My favorite one is children are not and adolescents do not exhibit ADHD behaviors on purpose. Mm. Your child is not keeping their room messy or their folder and their book bag is not stuffed with papers or they're not forgetting things on purpose. Mm -hmm. It's actually distressing for a lot of these children. And Mm -hmm. so I always have parents like remember that. Your child is not doing this on purpose. This is not a personal attack against you. And this is not also a failure on your end in terms of like, oh my goodness, I didn't teach my child these things or they just don't have these skills. These are things that they need support with. So that's number one, like remembering Mm -hmm. those things. I also like to have parents remember because it can be so frustrating from like year to year, developmental stage to developmental stage. Like you feel like you had like the organization figured out, like fourth grade, we had this figured out. Now eighth grade, it's like, what is happening here? 12th grade, same Mm -hmm. child, like what is going on? Your child's ADHD is going to look different when they're eight versus when they're 12 Mm. versus when they're 18. And your goal as a caregiver is to start to build some of these foundational building blocks that they can build on throughout time. When you start to teach Mm -hmm. an eight-year-old organizational skills, the level of organization that they need at eight is very different than they need at 18. But Mm -hmm. starting to teach them these skills at 15 versus eight, the outcome is very different when they get to be 18. So remember that you're building and they're taking steps and building blocks for that. And then I think also just remembering that, and this is really for parents and caregivers, is that it's very hard to do this alone Mm -hmm. in thinking about making sure your child like has all the supports that they need. And Mm -hmm. you really want to tap into like the community resources and school resources Like, number one, it's the law (laughs) that children who are struggling with attentional difficulties and have a diagnosis, like get accommodations. And so you want to make sure that your child's teacher, your child's school-based support team, um, your child's coaches, like people understand what's happening and are willing to partner with you to help Mm -hmm. your child learn and to help your child to thrive in their community. Because when people are able to come together and do this for a child, it just sends such a powerful message about just their capabilities. And one of the saddest things, and the research is so clear about this, if we look at a child who is in first and or first grade, second grade with ADHD, and their self-esteem is really, really great, and they're doing well academically, around third, fourth, and grade, 
If we look at that same child who does not have any accommodations, no intervention, we start to see this gradual decline in their Mm self-esteem. And it's not because anything has changed about their cognitive abilities. It's because as we get older, as grades get higher, the demands for our attention just become so much more. And without explanation and without understanding, children start to internalize that. There's something wrong with me. I don't understand this. I can't do this. Everyone can. When in reality, it's, yeah, you can do all of this. It's just the adults in your life haven't told you. This is going to be so tangential. But a lot of times parents will ask me questions about like sharing like a diagnosis with their child. So should I tell my child they have ADHD? Should I tell my child like this is what the psychologist or psychiatrist or whoever is saying about it? And I am honestly a really strong advocate of like telling your child. Yes. Because I am with you. There are some parents who are like, no, I am not telling my child. Like I do not. They already know. know. Exactly. They know. They know. And children are going to make up stories about things and come up with their own understanding. And you as the adult or caregiver need to be in there to like fill in the pieces. Yeah. So those are kind of the places that I would start in terms of just helping parents think about like how to navigate ADHD and other things that their child may be going through. Yeah. And I mean, when you think about, it's not like ADHD or, you know, it doesn't just show up one day. Like it's typically, you know, something that our kids Born with. are managing, yeah. living with their whole yep. life. And I think about our adolescents mm-hmm. and how deeply discouraged some of our adolescents are. And it's like, well, yeah, mm-hmm. they've spent the last 15 years with everybody's mad at yeah. them. Everybody's telling them they're too much mm-hmm. or they're doing it wrong mm-hmm. or they're making a mm-hmm. scene. Or calm I mean, down. yeah. Or calm yeah. down or, or you're not good enough. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really important. I just want to leave, like, if you are a parent of one of these kids, I hope one, that you feel relief in hearing, you know, the things that Dr. Brown's saying, hopefully you feel validated, but also just remember that like, it's a lot for you to hold, but it's a lot for your kid to live with. And so even just taking the pause and saying like, God, it must be really hard. You know, I'm thinking that particular conversation I had recently where there's a math teacher situation and you know, and the accommodations are not being recognized. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to be able to say to your kid, like, it must not feel great yeah. to know that this is somebody you got to see every day mm-hmm. and walk in and it doesn't seem like they really get you. Yeah. Right. And I appreciate, so my background is positive discipline, mm-hmm. which is based in Adlerian theory, which is really that behavior is movement towards this feeling of belonging and significance. Mm-hmm. And, you know, layer that in Mm -hmm. for these kids. And it's like, it's really hard to have a sense of belonging when you're the oddball out, when you're the one, you know, that everybody seems to be mad at. So, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm always like, oh, come, come. (laughs) I think if we all recognize that, like this idea of like wanting to feel belonged, wanting Mm -hmm. to have that sense of safety and feel like people are understanding That goes a long way. And those things just don't happen. Yeah. There has to be some intentionality behind that. Yeah. I love that. Well, that went by really fast. I know. (laughs) I'm like, next time. So my last question Mm -hmm. that I always ask my guests, which I would love to hear from you is what does joyful courage mean to you? 
Ooh, I love that question. Joyful courage. Ooh, to me, I think it it means recognizing that there are going to be some like hard, tricky things that we have to encounter throughout Mm -hmm. life. And uh, that takes courage. And sometimes uh, deciding if you're going to be courageous can be really discouraging and can come with all these other feelings. So I feel like joyous courage means intentionally deciding that you Mm -hmm. are going to like tackle difficulties with like a positive outlook and with the joy and happiness and contentment in what may come from from the difficulty. Hmm. Thank you. I love <laughs> that. That was a good question. Love that. Thank you. Where can people find you and follow your blog? You have a podcast, right? I do have right? a podcast. It's called Notes from a yeah, Child Psychologist. And it's really focused on like talking about some of these clinical things. So like we have ADHD, we talk about anxiety, we talk about how to talk about to your children about the scary things happening in the world. So you can listen Mm -hmm. to my podcast, Notes from a Child Psychologist, everywhere where podcasts are found. You can also follow me on Instagram, Dr. So Tasha Brown. And then my practice website, tmbpsychservices.com if you're interested in learning more about clinical services. Awesome. Well, I'll make sure listeners that all the links are in the show notes. Thank you so much, Dr. Brown, for hanging out with me today. Great. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening in today. Thank you to my Sproutable partners, as well as Chris Mann and the team at Podshaper for all the support with getting this show out there and making it sound good. Check out our offers for parents with kids of all ages and sign up for our newsletter to stay connected at besproutable.com. Tune back in later this week for our Thursday show and I'll be back with another interview next Monday. Peace. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.